February 5th, 2024. I'd like to talk to you tonight about a class entitled The Sidur, From Specialized to Standardized. It happens to be the fourth in a series. Um, if you weren't present or didn't listen to the first three, uh, you're okay, because the introduction will give you all you need to know with regards to the flavor, the direction of these classes. Harambam, who will begin and did begin to a certain extent this whole series and the concept, in source number one, his Mishneh Torah and Perek Dalid, defines for us the traditional vision of uh, the history of prayer. Initially, prayer, and the Hachamim, to a certain extent, articulate this in Masechet Berachot, existed as Bakashat Kol Adam Be'adam. Every individual made their own personal requests. They had their own connection to God. It was words that they conjured up, ideas that they came up with, that were their expression of prayer. However, writes Harambam, after exile, after exile and no longer being centralized in the land of Israel, we became dispersed, uh, all different nations, speaking different languages. The children born in a foreign country, quote unquote, meaning not a country where they were attuned to the Hebrew language, uh, were not familiar with Hebrew well. They didn't have Ivrit Be'ivrit. As a result, there was a mixture of sorts of uh, languages. Moreover, they couldn't even, in one language, articulate and properly express a full-fledged bakasha. That's the end of that pasuk. As a result of this, it became a reality for people that prayer, the way it was supposed to be, as an authentic, personal, individualized request, Beseeching connectedness to God was uh, diminished, was weakened. Uh, it was, therefore, once Ezra and his Beitin, uh, during the time of exile, noticed this, or beginning to resettle, Amdu, uh, they uh, got up, so to speak, and as a result, they established what we know as the Shemona Yisrael, of course, an additional Beracha later on, 19 Berachot, what we know as the Amida. What was and is the purpose of that prayer, says Harambam, quite clearly, so that we can speak Belashon Saha, so we can have a coherent, appropriate way of expressing ourselves in prayer. So here's the general premise of this series. Yeah, there's an irony to the way prayer has existed over the course of the last almost 2,000 years. Because whereas prayer, by definition, of all the mitzvot you could come up with, is supposed to be, at its core, in its origin, in its most natural state, something that is personalized, or I called it specialized, it emerged because it needed to be so, as something that was in turn standardized. We couldn't do it properly. I give expression to all the students, everybody should do whatever they see fit, just write an essay on any topic. But they don't know how to, their creative capacity is diminished for one reason or another. I have to then give them a little guidance. If it becomes a reality wherein I gave them every word in the essay, well, you kind of lost the flavor of the initial intention. So the general premise and conversation about tefillah is to question that direction, to understand and to realize that within prayer as we have it even today, maybe there are moments, there are glimpses, there are circumstances, situations where there still is a specialized format to it. Maybe there's ironies nonetheless where things got standardized to a certain extent in one way or another, it's basically dealing with this tension of quote-unquote where prayer was and quote-unquote where it should be and prayer to a certain extent where it is. That's how what I'd like to discuss. Like, the years before this, like, how come they didn't have prayer? They had Korbanot, but that was only in the, the Mikdash. The Gemara describes in prayer in the Mikdash as well. Listen, we don't have enough sources. The Gemara and Sukkah and Afanun Gimal. Uh, yeah, Alberto can yeah. speak to it. 
Shomer Karonez earlier on Daf Lamet Het with regards to Halel, but Daf Nun Gimal, the Gemara is talking about the time Smachat Bet Hashoeva. It's in Masechet Tamid as well. There seems to be clear it was, evidence. It was third party. It was it was let the let the educated class pray for yeah, me. Right. Understood, right? Understood. But there was prayer again. This you know, you got to be on the purview of the conversation, which is important, nonetheless. But what I'm saying is, at its core, what I'm saying is at its core. Prayer was individualized. In other words, in, mm-hmm. if anything, you're making the case further. It became more standardized, but maybe more popularized in some respect. I just want to test. But why I not wanna... teach the format of which to individualize as opposed to the, right. this is how you So write. that's a wonderful question. What Harambam is basically suggesting in that halakha, in that description is, it wasn't possible. We can't trust people with that. Again, does that mean that that is an ideal? Certainly not. Doesn't mean it's untouchable. That happens to be tonight what I'd like to address. In other words, the other classes have focused on other angles. They've noticed that the most recent one, I think, was how Hazanim and the sources for this have a certain um, almost uh, poetic license to alter and to change. And I envision that as getting back to specialized. What I'd like to address tonight, and I'll introduce it now once the initial introduction is done in a particular way, is with regards to our Amidah, with regards to our prayer as we have it, how appropriate or inappropriate is it, not for me and you per se, but for the scholar, for the Talmud Hacham, historically and until today, to alter words. In other words, once it's been standardized, to use that word, how much ability, how much license is there to alter and to change based on what will be a question, under what circumstances will be a question. But here's how I would introduce it. When I was in high school, maybe 10th or 11th grade, there was a special rabbi who came to Brooklyn. I heard about him. I knew nothing about him. And my father suggested, and it was rare that my father and I went to listen to a rabbi together. Father suggested, let's go listen to him. His name was Rabbi Meir Mazuz. He's still alive. He was a rabbi in Bene Brak in Yeshivat Kisera Hamim. At the time, I remember Rabbi Aluf introduced him and stated and told the crowd that he had studied in his yeshiva. Like anything else, a rabbi from Israel was here to teach Torah. Of course, you're part of fundraising for his yeshiva. Years later, when I was rabbi in Sha'are Shalom, I had the opportunity of hosting him. Why was he coming there? Of course, it was a beautiful synagogue. It was also during the summer, and he was in Brooklyn. How many Bate Knesset have a crowd during the summer? So we were I grasped the opportunity. Rabbi Meir Mazuz is a tremendous Talmud Hacham in all aspects and all definitions of that word. But beyond that, he's a creative and out-of-the-box thinker. And creative and out of the box in many ways. Additionally, he has a breadth of knowledge. So when he spoke, as I recall vividly, he spoke about dikduk and pronunciation of words. It wasn't a standard traditional shiur, which is wonderful when the chief rabbi or another rabbi comes, like the halachashi or something of that sort. It was on quirky things, on the pronunciation that Syrians have as opposed to others. On it was things of that sort. A few years later. I was studying in Israel for the year, and I came across a sidur called Hasidur Hamiduyak, Ish Masliach. Ish Masliach, I knew the name already. That's the Sheilot Tushbot, the response of Rabbi Meir Mazuz's father. His father's name was Rabbi Masliach Mazuz. He had this terrible tragic, he was, he was killed by a, by, an, uh, by a terrorist. But regardless, his name is Rabbi Matzliach Mazuz. So many of the books published by the yeshiva follow that as well. So this is a sidur hamiduyak. The word in Hebrew, miduyak, ledayek, means to be careful with your wording. I, I bought the book. It's Rabbi Mazuz's sidur. It's got to be interesting. I opened it up. And I, 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 I promise you, I'm, we mentioned earlier, I'm good with picking up on controversies. This one, I wasn't familiar there was a controversy. What could be controversial? It's Rabbi Meir Mazuz's uh, sidur. This happens to be the one I'm holding, the third version. I'm just going to read to you briefly one letter that's in the front. Now you have to understand, before this, and many Sidurim have letters of approbation at the beginning, you know, letters of rabbis saying it's a wonderful letter. Even, you know, Kol Yaakov Sidur has one or two, and all the Sidurim have different letters in the front. This one has like, like eight. It's already a little interesting. There's so many letters, especially if it's composed by a tremendous rabbi. So here's one letter that I remember catching my eye. It's written by his name is uh, his name was uh, Rabbi Vosner. Rabbi Vosner was a tremendous Talmud. He wrote Shelot Shvot Shevet Halevi. He was a rabbi in Bnei Barak, um, adjacent to Rabbi Mazuz. Listen to the letter. Kevod Hagaona Mefusam, Rabbi Mazuz. Achrei Dereshat Shlomo Atov Torshlom Torato. Hine Odot Michtavi Be'Inyan Shinui Mas Misora Shelano. 
about the letter that I wrote against our tradition, dealing with the changes in our tradition. Thank you very much. Look at the letter that I wrote with regards to tradition. I only wrote it for the honor of God. Our tradition is this pillar which we've leaned on. The letter that I wrote didn't mention any specific name. He's alluding to something controversial here. You should know the letter I wrote about the importance of tradition. I was just writing to glorify God. I never mentioned the name. And you're visiting to my house, Rabbi Mazuz. It was very pleasant for me. I know, and I'm clear, we don't want to harm any of that. What was this letter about? Why are there so many letters? What is wrong with a sidur which is miduyak, which is careful in its wording? I began to read from the sidur. I discovered afterwards that Rabbi Mazuz, as the grammarian, which I heard him at that time, is and was, in his sidur as well, paid attention to every expression, every kotsoshel yud, every detail, every word, every sentence, everyone was tested out based on historical texts, based on grammar, based on different things. And he had and has the courage to, in all aspects and every segment of the sidur, change based on his understanding of what the proper text should be. That was the backdrop to this. So a tremendous Swaradi rabbi composed a sidur in which he goes into the texts, unencumbered, not threatened by any of the traditions with regards to the prayer book that you and I might hold and our grandparents and so forth, and makes changes. To what extent? The average person wouldn't pick up on all of them, but would pick up on some. If you have a fine eye, sensitive eye, you'll pick up on many, many. What's an example? We'll come up with a few during the class. Um, well, that being the case, no, it's a great question. There are many. Uh, that being the case, there was, we can already glean from this letter of Rabbi, Rabbi Vosner, there was a bad, a harsh, a, a harsh uh, feedback. In this first page, this is what you, you have on this first page. Generally speaking, these types of letters are posted. I lived in Measha having for two years. These sorts of letters are posted throughout the streets of many Haredi neighborhoods in, in Yerushalayim. They're known as Pashkavilim. It's a Yiddish word, which means the posters which are on the walls against something, for something, someone passes away, whatever. This is a long letter lambasting. 2003, that's when I'm in Israel. So this is when this was all happening, ironically, right? It's killing the Sidur. And the key lines in this, but all of them are, look at the second sentence. Oh, well, look at the first. Odot ha-pirtsa is a breach. There was a tremendous breach. Look at the second paragraph. The editors, the authors of this Sidur, they're going against the warning of all the great authorities. And there's names, and there's a name at the end of this. And they called in the final paragraph, as they called it the Humasha Meduyak, they went above and beyond uh, matters which they're, uh, are, are being mehadesh, they're novel in ways that are inappropriate and untraditional, signed by initially many famous Ashkenazic rabbis, Rabbi El Yashiv, Rabbi Steinman. Uh, Rabbi Moshe Shmuel Shapira, Rabbi Lefkowitz, Amir Rabbi Nisim Karolitz, these are the Ligidole Hador Ashkenazim of the time period, all killing the Sidur, all destroying it and saying it's inappropriate. On the bottom, you might say this was only the Ashkenazic approach. Let's look at some of the names on the bottom. Hacham Yehuda Ades, Rabbi Yaakov Moshe Hillel, Ham Yaakov Atiyah. Rabbi Yitzhak Zafrani, and so forth. I mean, Rabbi Nisim uh, Toledano. I mean, you're dealing with Sephardic names as well. Every single one of them writing against this Sidur and suggesting, not dealing with the details per se, but suggesting that this approach is inappropriate and untraditional. So that's the backdrop to this conversation. Their claim quite clearly is the standardized version of prayer is the only binding version of prayer as it stands today. Now, lest you think for a moment that the prayer book today is the same as the prayer book 
several hundred years ago, you would certainly be mistaken. Go no further than, I don't know, there are none in this neighborhood, but I would say the shtibul down the block, the Ashkenaz, there's no Ashkenazic synagogues here, but if there were, go and open their sidur, you'll see there are differences. There's always differences in tefillot. However, the claim nonetheless is, stated like this, you can't knowingly make changes like that. It crept in, and this is a point I've made in the past, that prayer books, when there are changes, are ironically the fastest change we have as an Orthodox community. To change quote-unquote halakha, even if you have a claim for why it should be practiced differently, is very difficult. You change a few lines in the Sidur, most people won't pick up on it. I mentioned at the time, maybe in one of these classes, I went to Israel, I was using the Sidur that I got bar mitzvah with, Kol Yaakov Sidur. I was saying when I was Hazan, Tush Behata in the Kaddish. I came back, I opened up the Sidur in the synagogue, not my own, and said, Tish Behata. I couldn't believe it. I said, have I been imagining this all along? It was changed and I noticed all the Hazanim were at that point saying, Tish Behata, that's what it said in the Sidur at that point. Longer conversation about why and how that changed. I went to Israel, I remember as well, I was using the Kol Yaakov, Sidur, it said, Shovero Yivim Machnia Zedim. I came back and the Hazan said, Umachnia Minim. These were before I was familiar with the issues. Couldn't believe it. Why is he saying he's using the same? Not the same. The Sidur had a change in it. You make changes in Sidurim, it has a quick change. Of course, you don't want to just do it haphazardly. But what I'm suggesting already at this point is there was and a these came very, from the publisher? Or these came from... This came from the rabbi. Oh, oh uh, the Koyakob ones? Yes, the committee decided based on whatever their determinations. All good determinations. So they added most of the situation. But right? they, they added it and they had sourcing for it. Chamitz Hakshahibar says that in Halab they said Vilamos. So it's easy to add it in. It's not that they're not sure. It's, it's <laughs> that there are two ways on it, probably. But in short, in short, uh, what I'm what I'm pointing out is now here in this next page there is a letter from none other than that same Rabbi Vosner from Shevet Halevi, and in this letter here's the initial letter again a reiteration of the vehement, strong language, aggressive language against the publishing of this sidur. He has a language in here about how hadash is asum in haTorah, anything new. Uh, an expression from the rabbis, but really made famous by Hatam Sofer in a, opposition to the reform movement. Anything new is forbidden from the Torah. Claims of mithadeshim, this is going to be the beginning of something new which brought about and will continue to bring about the destruction of Am Yisrael. So now you already understand. And I, when I discovered these letters, I understood what was going on in the Sidur. Somehow there was some sort of retraction from Rabbi, from Shevet Halevi, from Rabbi Vosner. But effectively, what took place with this Sidur, interestingly, was this rabbi, who I was and am so enamored by, went about in this Sidur doing something perceived by many to be untraditional, and a sharp and heavy backlash. What I'd like to now, over the course of the rest of the class, and then concluding with returning to this issue, is to test out, based on some of our traditional sources, from the last several hundred years, what the ability has been envisioned, what the direction with regards to changes in our Amidah is all about. Now, I don't refer to, although maybe we could, well, maybe I'll mention two at the onset. One is in this book, which I was recently reading from, it's called Iyune Halachot, written by a specific Hasidic rabbi. He's quoting, you might imagine when I'm talking about changes in prayers, he must be talking about these really modern individuals. Even Rabbi Mazuz, I don't know who he is. He's, I'm not sure. Hasidic, he's answering in a letter about the Biala Rebbe that the Biala Rebbe had many changes to Amidah. One of them in the second Beracha, he had Matzmiach Lanu Yeshua. He added an extra word, Lanu. That's just one word, but he's got a good 30 pages defending that change. Oh, a Hasidic rabbi, who we sometimes imagine more traditional than others. Now, a less traditional rabbi. His name is Professor Daniel Sperber. Professor Daniel Sperber, I mean, he's a rabbi as well, but less traditional. He's suggesting in this book called On Changes in Jewish Liturgy that there is an ability, maybe in his mind an appropriateness, to add more, well, let's call it 
it's before it's written before we called it woke, but more woke changes to the prayer. Again, he's, he knows his sources. Tamit Hacham is a little bit more audacious in this respect, a little bit more uh, liberal-minded. He wants to add in not only Abraham, Tzach, and Yaakov, but maybe Sararif Karachel and Le'ah in the beginning of the Amidah. Or something along those lines. And he's making that claim. Now, there are many such issues of this sort. I really just wanted to, together with you, discuss what's the history and, in turn, not ironic change, but where did this leave us with this controversy regarding the Sidur Ishmatzliach and all subsequent conversations? See, so here's how it goes. Skipping number one, we discussed number one. Let's deal with. The earliest sourcing in Gemara with regards to the composition of the Amidah. Okay, so that's that's the beginning of this conversation after the introduction. The Gemara Masech Berachot and Daflamid Gimal has a statement of Rav Shemin Barabat Terbiyohanan that who established Berachot Tefilot Kedushot Havdalot none other than Ancheknes Tagdulah the men of the Great Assembly. We imagine that as the generation around Ezra. They established what we have, it says in there, tefilot. Okay, the prayer is the tefilot, kiddush, haftalah, etc. Gimbalah Masech Megillah describes how there was another player involved in this. His name was Shimon HaPakuli. He was Histir Shimon And the Gemara, of course, questions, well, if it was Anshe Knesset HaGidolah, then what was he doing? And the Gemara says, well, there was some sort of forgetfulness. They didn't remember the order of the Berachot. And he fixed it further. He brought it back to the way we had it. He didn't insert anything new. He continued. Now, let's just pay attention for a moment to the wording in the Gemara. They set forth, well, let's read the words, Tanya Shimon Pakuli Hisdir. Hisdir literally means he ordered. And the Gemara indeed goes on to explain why is the order the way we have it? Why Atakadosh and then Atahonen and then Hashivenu, etc.? It doesn't say the words were established, but the concepts certainly are there. Interesting. And then the Gemara says, again, so it says, what did he do? It says, They forgot them, and he went back. Next paragraph here in source number three. I made that paragraph. It's the next line in the Gemara. From that time period and onward. Once we had what we call Amidah. You're no longer allowed to Talk about the greatness of God. Well, you know, I'll talk about, I can't talk about God. We do it all the time. Shwaki has a song on it. It says, Rashi, bikvi'ut beracha. You can't establish a beracha ramida. Who said? It's a derasha. Mi yemalel gevurot adonai yashmea kotilato. Who's going to set in place the shevach to God? Only someone who could speak about the whole breadth, the whole, the whole, the whole, the whole perspective of God's greatness. From where? Which part was from there? No, from where? Who make? Who made this rule that you can't make? make it's stated in the Gemara. Ah. The Gemara seems to accept this as a reality and tradition. Once it was set in motion, it's inappropriate. That's their vision. It's inappropriate. It's, inappropriate it's because not you can't a define the grandeur because you can't never... do it right because nobody will do it right. So if you, if it's effectively uh, to put put Alberto's words, which is the Gemara's words, in different words. Uh, the diminishing minds and capabilities of the generations leave us in a place so distant from them, we won't be able to. Is there a biblical violation? Not per se. Is there a warning from the Gemara already? Yes. Go ahead. It's a rabbinic warning. They don't say asur. They say, yes, they do say asur. Mikan vailach asur. Yeah. So their words, just to state it clearly, is the order was established. From then on, it's asur lehosif, or asur lesaper. Rashi's words, bekviyot beracha. You can't add a beracha. We can't do 20 berachot, right? And that's what the Gemara deals with. Had you had an extra one or whatever, that's what we have. It's not addressing the words per se. It's not addressing, it is addressing the content, but not the words. Okay, next, yeah, Gemara, go ahead. To the standardized, you can't add. Correct. To a specialized version. So it doesn't address a specialized version. It doesn't say anything about that. Great point. Leads us to source number four. Source number four, Gemara, I'm going to say, How do they interpret this Gemara, the guys who do believe in that? This guy Give it a minute or two. Keep in mind, I'm already opening your eyes to that. It never says you can't add words. It says you can't add concepts and berachot. Right. Gemara, I'm going to say, What about personal? At what point does a become a new berachot? 
with how many additions? And that's a wonderful question. It probably has to have a baruch. Not probably. It certainly uh, has to have a baruch. A opener, it has to have a new theme. It has to stand alone. Yeah. To Ralph's point, uh, deals with what about the personalized editions? Sites from this Gemara. If you want to, says the Gemara, make your own personal request. How do you do so? Can't do it in Amidah? Says the Gemara, you do it in each one of the Berachot. Now, Shomea Tefillah would give you the whole option for anything, says the Gemara explicitly. And then each one of the Berachot give you the opportunity, the possibility to insert Me'in HaBeracha, Me'in Kol Beracha, Beracha, Zlashon the Gemara. In other words, something similar, something along the lines, a prayer for a sick person, Refa'enu, insert it there. With words or with, with, with thoughts? So the Gemara isn't clear about that. It appears as if it's even with words. Shohan Aruch's words are even with words. In Bet Yosef, he quotes from Rabbeinu Yonah, that it might not be fully simple, and there's the discussion about this halakha l'ma'aseh. It's even with words. We're already, on, however, the deflection on this, quite clearly from Ralph is, whether he meant to or not, is this is a personalized. This is not established. This is not publishing the Sidur. Okay, so what we've established then thus far in the Gemara is there is a standardized text. Harambam's uh, historical background, it was a necessary text. Uh, we needed it based on the situation. Um, is there a capability to change it, says the Gemara? Absolutely not. Does that mean no extra words? The Gemara says you can insert your own personal request. What about if I'm restructuring the Beracha? Not just for myself, for my community, for my synagogue, for a prayer book. <clears throat> that's where things get a little bit more dicey. But Sh- says specifically, like besides the first few pages when you're just praising Hashem, the rest of it is, is you Request. Request. Right. So if you're already requesting, like the, if, if I'm saying if I, I personally, if I'm like during, if October 7th, I'm adding in so that's number four. So that's number four. Number four, the Gemara Navodazarandavchet says, Joe, stop over there and mention what you want to mention. However, Joe, can you recompose the Sidur? Could you now tell the synagogue to pray that way? No. So we don't see that from the Gemara at the very least. Right. Well, we've added words in the past. The question is, how knowingly or unknowingly did that take place? How much under duress did that take place based on dangers of sorts? And the whole Beracha, okay, the Gemara deals with. Uh, so source number five is Shelot Teshubot HaRosh. Rosh, his name was Rabbeinu Asher ben Yechiel, a very important medieval rabbi. He died in 1327 in Toledo. Uh, so Rosh, in his Shelot Teshubot, in his response, I want to get that for you, says, Ubeberachot Shimon Yisrael, listen to the words, En leshanot mimabbea shetavu hachamim. You may not, in a strong, strong, traditional statement, you may not change what the rabbis established for us. He says, I didn't see all that much. The words that I found in the Amidar, he means not to say, a difference of one letter. And he tells you, and I'm certain it needs to be mitubach, and you want to change it, it's wrong. He goes on where it says, and shouldn't say, v'tachnia kol o'yevenu, it should rather say, v'tachnia bimhera b'yamenu. Do you follow how many words we're dealing with? One word, one letter. But he's very clear about this. He continues and he tells you in his mind why this is so important in the next paragraph. Ki yesh li kuntres ma'asei yashan. I have an old notebook. V'katuv bo kol ha-berachot shel kol ha-shana, u'schum kama tevot yesh b'chol beracha u'beracha. I have this old notebook. It says in it, it counts all the words in every single one of the Berachot and tells you the significance, what it's parallel to. You're going to go ahead and change those words, the audacity. You're going to be ruining the prayer. That's Rosh's claim to this. I mean, you may have heard of that, counting letters and things of that sort. Rosh is one of the earliest to mention such a concept. Again, Rosh could not have been blind to the reality that there were different customs. How do I know that? Rosh's biography is quite simple. He started in Germany. During a difficulty in the community, his rabbi's name was Maharami Rotenberg. In a famous situation, this rabbi was taken ransom by the governing authorities, wanted to extract money from the community. The rabbi forbade them to pay, and he died in jail. Rosh 
certainly fled, perhaps as a result of that, out of fear that it was going to happen to him, and went to Spain. There are many famous statements that I love to read at times about Roche's surprise upon arriving in Spain. He arrives in Spain, he says, this is a very different community. And as Faradim, we might imagine his eyes are opened and he's so excited. Think of it alternatively, Alberto, as someone who came from Bingo and arrived in, I don't know, Uri's. They're going to be a little bit surprised. They're not going to know what's going on. They're going to be surprised by, quote, the way that people dress, by, quote, the way that people are talking, the music and things of that sort is going to throw them off. That was Roche. Roche is shocked by what he finds in Spain. The reason I mention this specifically is to say it's an interesting statement of Roche. He's certainly trying to be traditional here, and is very much so. It's hard for me to believe that he wasn't familiar with the fact that there were already discrepancies. But that being the case, that's his position, certainly as stated over here. He is opposed by... Rashba. Rashba is a Barcelona rabbi who dies a bit before him, but a contemporary in 1310. And in his commentary to the Gemara, it's very often quoted. Did they overlap in Spain? To the best of my knowledge, they did. I don't know how much correspondence they had. It would be an interesting thing to look further into, which I'm sure has been done, but I'm not familiar with it. Uh, They're not in the same community. And they have different views on many where, things. Where was he in Spain? Where were the Roche? Roche is in Toledo, and yeah, Rashba is in Barcelona. Right. Uh, so uh, there's there's a few other Spanish rabbis to come. Um, Rashba completely opposes this concept and this idea. He's interpreting the Gemara, the Mishnah, that says that in a place where the rabbi said you you have to shorten, you can't lengthen. In a place where they said you have to lengthen, you can't shorten. He says, don't make the mistake of believing. This means to say you can't add or subtract words from, quote, the standardized Amidah. It's not what it means. It means, (laughs) okay, well said. He says, what it does mean, that's not his claim. He says, what it does mean is, you can't change the structure of Berachot. A beracha aruka, a long beracha in the eyes of the rabbis, just means it opens with baruch and ends with baruch. You can't change that. If it's kisara, it doesn't open with baruch. You can't change that. The words in it, of course you can add a word here, subtract a word here. Can you change the concept and the theme? Absolutely not. That's standardized. That's the Gemara we saw in source number three in Gemara Megillah. You want to add a word or a sentence, make one longer, one shorter in some way or fashion, based on your logic, based on your understanding, says Rashba, absolutely capable. He points as evidence, and I won't get too much into this, but you should all be familiar with this, to the Aseretim Teshubah. In the 10 days of repentance, we add in many words to the beginning and end of the Amidah. Those words, and so on and so forth, none of those words are in the Gemara. All those words are post-Gemara from the time of the Geonim. They're not mentioned in the Gemara. And they're nonetheless added. Says Rashba, we all do that. How are we all doing that? Clearly, there's some permissibility to add words. It's got to stay thematic. It can't be its own beracha. It can't change the structure of a beracha. It's a revolutionary statement. Seems pretty cogent and seems as if it was to a certain extent, extent understood and accepted. There is an in-between between Rosh on one extreme, right extreme, and Rashba on the left extreme, and that is Ritva. Ritva is from Seville, also from Spain. Go ahead. If you ask specifically, it's very personal. Right. That's the irony of this. These, these classes are pointing out the irony of Joe. Prayer is supposed to be personal. And yet, and yet, there became a certain standardized text to it to the extent that, according to many, you can't alter it. Alberto, just take it easy. Ritva, <laughs> who's a very important civil rabbi who dies in 1330, all around the same time period, has something in between. His words are, you can, can change but not in a permanent sense. You can change on occasion based on circumstance. You change a word, there's not a kibbeh. You added, you changed, you took. It's okay. You shouldn't be doing this in a permanent fashion. He doesn't define it. It's a great question. It seems to me what he's saying is, I am establishing it for the synagogue. I'm changing these words in the Amidah, but I'm not telling you we're going to do this forever. We're going to do this for a week. 
uh, were very much enlightened based on the circumstance or, or, or inspired by some circumstance of October 7th, we're going to change that beracha of X to Y. Right. Uh, the theme stays the same, but we change the words, but we're not going to keep this long term. It seems to me that's what he's saying. He's not saying that I'm adding my own request that we know from the Gemara and Abu Dazara. He it is just saying. It sounds like the Rosh. You're saying that he came from Germany, went to Spain, and he saw both the Ashkenaz and the Sephardic text. This doesn't sound like that was the case. It sounds like they wrote a Sidur, and there's a right and a wrong. One of us is wrong. Rashba Rashba and Ritva both point out the following. Very simple. They say, if every word was, as does the next source, would be David Abudara, yet another civil, important uh, Spanish rabbi, but a little bit later. They all point out the following. Had Ansheh Knesset HaGidola actually established every single word of the Amidah as it needs to be, not as it was, as it needs to be, it should have been recorded and passed down. Right. It was not. You won't find that in any traditional te- uh, text. Rashba does say there are statements in the Gemara which are explicit. This needs to be here. Those words need to be there. There's a dispute about these words. All of those, says Rashba, are absolutely binding. If the rabbis gave you specifics, you didn't mention those words. That one's binding. You have to have those words in it. Anything else, says Rashba, it's not a part of it. Because it's they true. Didn't mention it, because it's not mentioned, because it's not explicitly said, you can actually and it. And, and, and they stated a little bit more religiously than even you. They say, it wasn't me. You're saying, we don't have it. They say, right. it wasn't mentioned because they never wanted it to be this way. Right. That being the case, it's an interesting question. So now you have Rosh's point, which Alberto's bringing forth. What about that old notebook? They would say, we don't know anything about that notebook. Rabbi David Abu Daram, who, who, who collects the Minhagim of Spain, it's a very significant book for many reasons, um, but, but he collects the Minhagim. He writes here in source number eight, it's a fascinating thing. He says, you know, I used to follow the word count and be very careful. There are some people who counted all the berachot and gave a certain, and as they gave significance. There's X amount of numbers, and as a result, I mean, there's many berachot that took me time to realize there's differences, and then took me time to look into it. Oh, sure. Sure, I mean, you're going to see it. Oh, sure, you're gonna fi- absolutely, you're going to find this all the time. You're going to find it until today. I, I uh, on Friday nights, I grew up, obviously, in my parents' household, Sfaradim, a Syrian, uh, Kiddush. I went to my in-laws on the first Friday night, and my father-in-law was in the middle of Kiddush, and he starts singing something, And I'm thinking to myself, I know those words. I know those words from Yom Tov. He must be making a mistake. Those words are what we say in Kiddush on Yom Tov. I looked in the Ashkenazic prayer book and they were right there. We skipped those words. We we don't... He chose the Ashkenaz. So if you look look at my... I chose or he chose? He is Ashkenaz. I chose Ashkenaz. Oh, okay. Very good. Well said. We're just chosen on the holidays. Well said. Um, But what I discovered is that has to do with the word count. There's a Kabbalistic question about the proper amount of words. And as a result, those words are determined by the Middle Eastern community, the Sfaradim, not to say them. It's a longer conversation, but that's what it... Uh, says Louis, you'll find it still in, you know, look, in the Moroccans, you do it They're very far and in between when it comes to Amidah. Amidah is actually the closest that we have. But nonetheless, it's not Medukdak to the word. And Abid David Abu Daram points this out. Initially, I also used to be adherent to a word count. I determined there's no root and there's no foundation. You won't find anywhere. You hear it? Living in Spain, but he knows there's no place in the world where we have the exact same words. For one reason or another, over the course of time, it changed. He says that is, and this is in the words of David from earlier, that's the proof. That the Amita is not a singular, back to your point, Joe, and wasn't our words, wasn't purpose to be a singular text. Again, the irony of everything else. Listen, a halakha law system as well, to a certain extent, was once 
given to more creative expression as time went on. An American law system as well, as time goes on, things become more standardized. Prayer, no different. The question just is, how much liberal room is there for you know, that individual expression, yeah, yeah, uh, ultimately speaking. Words, like, the emphasis on words here, there's so many other parts of the tefillah, like what we sing, what we don't sing, when we stand, when we don't stand. Um, you know, the three steps up and back, there's so many ambiguities. So those are all interesting and important minhagim. Um, there's less of a statement in the Gemara about any of them. And there certainly isn't a strong, severe Rabbinic statement, you can't do that. When it comes to it, I'll get a little Maimonide and a little Harambam. We want some philosophy in this. On you, Harambam strengthens this in the More. Well-known Harambam talks about how you can't speak positively about God. You could only speak in the negative. He's not this. To talk about he is this is already to be diminishing him. So he he helps himself with this by pointing to the Gemarot. These how, are really how others. saying he's not something that's he's limiting if he's... If I say God I know, is I not is. Alberto. Not Alberto, okay. So that's a true statement. I say God is great. Great? That's a human expression. God, God is not small. He's beyond great. God is not small. Beautiful, that's true. But he, but then you're limiting him that he can't be small. That, exactly. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you, you are right. And that touches on the impossibility. It's, it's the same thing. Haram, no, Harambam addresses that as well. He says, God built into the fact that, into his reality, that there are, we're getting too philosophical at this point, that there are certain impossibilities that fit who he is, even though he could defy those as well. He can't make a four-sided triangle. That's Harambam's example. But ultimately speaking, in mine and yours words, the more words we use about him, the more we diminish. Listen, the very nature of using words for prayer, Harambam writes, diminishes as well. The second we use, words are for human beings. I articulate things because I need you to understand what I'm talking about. I'm already, uh, instead of using any other word, using this word. I'm not fully expressing myself entirely uh, because words, by definition, as a human construct, in order to get across my message, will limit. Ideal prayer, Haram Bam writes, is meditative. We're not in an ideal world. We don't have that. We have a standardized and specialized whatever. We have words that express it. But in the scheme of things, to, to your point, Mars, just circling back to that, when it comes to Minhagim, there's less of a fear about that sort of stuff. When it comes to the words of the prayer, there's more of a fear because you're playing with something more akin to fire in the eyes of the rabbis. And just wrapping up this conversation in terms of medieval commentators is Tur. Tur is the son of Rosh. Rosh Rabbeinu Asher ben Yechiel, we said 1327, passes away in Toledo. His son, Rabbi Yaakov, Baal HaTurim, here in Siman Kof Yod Gimal, writes from his brother, Rabbeinu Yechiel, that there's an exact amount of letters in each one of the Berachot, and then goes on to detail the significance of many of them. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. The same one that they said was nonsense three minutes ago. Rosh didn't. His son didn't. Neither one of his sons did. They didn't change their mind. On the page there, Bet Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Karo, the author of Shohan quotes our source number eight, Rabbi David Abu Daram. So we got different visions and different perspectives on this whole thing, which is all fascinating. In my mind, you literally have two extremes with regards to our premise to the series. The premise of the series is not, not, not extreme enough, per se. It's not as if you can do whatever you want. That's done. But there is, nonetheless, a little room given by many, specifically in Spain. But we found Spanish rabbis as well. We're going to call Rosh Spanish. We're going to call Tour Spanish, who curtail, who, who, who curb our excitement about this and state that there are a specific amount of words. Where does the Sivas La Halacha? Interestingly, it's never explicitly determined. Harambam has a virtual contradiction. Harambam's not excited about this, neither in source number 10 nor in source number 11. Harambam, of course, being initially from Spain, but a generation or several generations beforehand, dying in 1204. But uh, Harambam in Perek Aleph of Hilchot Kiryat Shema, when he's talking about words of prayer, Birkot Kiryat Shema there in Halacha Zayin, if you'll just, uh, t- together with me, go to the last line, Klalo Shel Davar, Kol HaMeshane, any 
anyone who changes the matbeah, the format of the beracha, is wrong and needs to repeat it. Harsh words. It sounds like two. It sounds like rosh. Source number eleven. The, the word coin is like is it currency? Is, is it? It's like currency? a currency, but so as a result, format. Got what it. does format mean? Is format, it all the is details, it currency, is it or is it just the larger format? In other words, is it that it's entirely different? Every single one of the words is a problem, or is it just that you you change the very concept? That's that's what we'll deal with. It's because in source number eleven he writes v'chol ha'meshanem mimatbeah shetavu hachamim in perek alf v'chot berachot berachot enoel atoreh. He doesn't say you need to repeat it. He says you're wrong. So which one is it? Says Rabbi Yosef Karo. It depends. If you went ahead and you changed the structure, they told you start with a baruch, end with a baruch. Uh, you got to repeat it. If you changed words in any of the berachot, you're wrong, shouldn't have been doing so, but okay, we'll leave it to be. Uh, that's how we resolve Harambat. Again, we haven't hit a bottom line on this. We've instead hit extremes on this sort of issue. Go ahead. But where are they pulling these halachot from these? They are struggling with a absence of direction in the Gemara on this matter. You're just saying what, what's right. They are determining based on the same same Gemarot, a few others, but the same Gemarot we saw, and certain logic and certain piecing things together. It's a wonderful question. Again, Rashba's claim is all the words should have been listed had it been so. Rosh's claim is no, but don't you know we have a tradition in terms of words? Where's that tradition? It's later, but you got to know that that is so. So, again, this brought our conversation fast-forwarding from source number 12, Maran Rabbi Yosef Karo in Kesef Mishneh, where he resolves this seeming contradiction in Harambam by saying the format means the structure, and the other halakha is the, uh, you know, is, is, is the specific words. Specific words is okay, but shouldn't have done it. The format is the structure can't do it, can't change it at all, problematic. It brought this rabbi, Professor Daniel Sperber, to his conversation. What's he looking to do? Now, this book was born out of his lectures at a at the Jewish Orthodox Feminist Association, I think it's called. So again, so his direction specifically is on feminist issues, but he addresses many others. And what he does it, over the course of this book is look historically. And it's an interesting read because he goes historically and he, he goes through different prayer books over the course of time, all the way back to contemporary times, and notices changes. The question, of course, is, does that prove what we should be doing, or does it alternatively prove just what was done? His claim is it can prove what we may be doing. And he points to the words that we just read, many of these sources and others as well, and claims, therefore, in source number 13, his final words on this are from Harambam, Maimonides says as follows, Ideally, we should follow the original version, However, we are certainly not permitted to change the structure, the beginning, the end, the Shemu Malchut. Harambam in his eyes writes, listen, thank you very much. Harambam writes, the ideal way is leave the Berachot as they are. Permissibility, this is his words, it's not ideal, but it's permissible to change wording. He gets absolutely shambled for this, and I think rightfully so. In a review essay in source number 14, it was published in the Chakira Journal by Aryeh Frimer, he says, you misunderstood the words. Rabbinically speaking, when we say lechatechila, it could mean one of two things. Over here, quite clearly from Harambam, what the word lechatechila means is, this is the way you should be doing it. You shouldn't be touching berachot. Bedi'avad means it was already done. Great book, Professor Frimer. It was already done. Done is done. You don't need to go back and change it. But you're making that decision consciously. You want to go ahead and change? Inappropriate. That's his proper reading of Rabbi Yosef Karo, which means to say as much as we imagine that maybe we push things forward over here, in terms of, well, there's that ability and traditional side of things. Not really. You'll be stuck in the words of Haram Bab. So let me just summarize one more time. We have a spectrum. We have on one end of the spectrum, Rosh and people of that sort and rabbis of that sort can't change a single word. In a pro- at the very least, not midah. You have on the other end of the spectrum, Rashbam. He's not saying you and me should just go ahead haphazardly. Saying they're hachamim, grammarians, people who know what they're doing, can do so. But you're not changing the structure. You have Rabbi Yosef Karo interpreting Harambam and his words properly understood as 
uh, Rabbi Frimer writes in source number 14, is not that you can go ahead and do it. It's just not ideal. It's that you're not supposed to. It was done. It was done. So you have all the proof that things, changes were made. You can, can keep them as long as they fit the structure, but you can't go ahead and do it. Well, again, what does that mean historically? So historically we have, we have extremes, we have something in the middle, we have things of that sort. What has been done? What have been the loud voices? It's a longer conversation than we're ready for because there's no simple, singular, singular vision on this. But I will suffice with a very traditional and very important Sfaradi rabbi, Maran HaHidar, Bihaim Yosef David Azulai, in source number 15, 16, and 17. In three places, in three of his books, he's a rabbi who died in 1806. A fascinating biography in and of itself, and significantly, a globetrotter. He was the emissary of the city of Hebron over the course of at least 10 years of his life. So he traveled across the whole Jewish world of that time period, uh, from England to uh, Tunisia and everything in between. And so as a result, fascinatingly, he had glimpses and time uh, with many different communities and exposure to all sorts of minhagim and prayers, etc. However, his angle on all of this is not as traditional as you might imagine. In source number 15, in his book, Avodat HaKodesh, Yizahir, he writes, you should be careful, make certain that you don't swallow words or letters. And certainly not the names of God. Listen to his words. He says, every letter, every word has secrets embedded within it. He's speaking Kabbalistically. We don't really understand Kabbalistically what and how we're affecting with each letter and where it seems clear for to read just Avodat HaKodesh. There's no changing. There's no dealing with, certainly not you and me, if we're going, even if it's grammatically or Kabbalistically, don't touch it. So 16. Sefer Yosef Omitz. Siman Yod. You'll find that there's changes. Sometimes there's communities with extra words, some with less. They have something to base themselves. He quotes from Rabbi Yosef Karom in the Yom Kippur prayers. If it's Anabashim or Anah. Hashem, be it some places we do one, other places we do the other. Well, does it matter? It says to be Yosef Karo. You're kind of okay either way. Well, you're kind of okay either way. It's a letter. It's prayer. It's going to change. It says to be Yosef Karo without getting fully. That's okay. Says Marana Chida, it's okay sometimes. He cross-references himself to the book Tovayin in Siman Zayim. Milta kidana maasim bechol yom. Krachim vayarot gedolot glilotena demeshanim teva achat o shtayim berkat yotzer berkot shmona esre vechayotze hamedaktikim bechivit diktukam hachamim kefi chokmatam mekubalim kefi adiatam ve'en pose pe. He first states the reality. Grammarians have changed words, added or subtracted. Uh, Kabbalists have, wise scholars have, is a reality. Is uh, that okay? Even in the Torah, like, for example, the Aseret HaDivrot that we read this week, it says, you know, Lot Yitzhak, Lot Yitzhak, Lot Yitzhak, in Vayet Hanan, it says, Velot Yitzhak, Velot Yitzhak. So we read Ibn Ezra with uh, Rabbi Rari, father, and he was reading the whole thing, and some rabbis were trying to read into it, and mm-hmm. Ibn Ezra just said, just forget it. It's, it's one letter, Moshe added it, don't go crazy about it. Indeed. Even in the Torah. Indeed. Yeah. Interestingly, it gets into a whole conversation about the nevuah of Moshe Rabbeinu in Sefer Devanim, though. But people repeating stories, like Eliezer, the Evan repeating the story. Mm-hmm. And, you know. mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, agreed. Uh, agreed. So, in other words, Mars is just referring us to situations where you find an extra letter, an extra word, a subtracted word, where the claim of someone like Ibn Ezra is don't overdo it because it's the same meaning. Similar point. Can you make an argument? I'm sorry to interrupt your train of thought. Can you make an argument on precedent? Like, if, if I'm seeing it like the reverse, right? So you're seeing it like the source is the codex and we all got to be as close to the source. But what about the fact that you have tens of thousands of people in our community having this kind of formula to unlock God's mercy and and that's what you're tapping into maybe you're not tapping into the uh maybe you're tapping into our tradition in Syria and the prayer that we had like, 
do you create a new precedent every generation? So here's the irony, and we're about to hit the punchline, but I'll, I'll hit it now. My feeling is, ironically, what you're saying, which sounds really novel and out of the norm, it's today the most traditional approach. What do I mean by that? Let's bring it back before we read Hachamova Dier Yosef, who will make this point in his own way without meaning to say what you're saying right now, in my opinion. The claim that we began the class with, the story about this Sidur, Ishmasliach, is his changes to the text are inappropriate. Want to know why? Because they're not the words we've been saying. Here's the news I have for you. His changes, not always, but very often, are based on ancient texts, on a certainty that this is the way it was once said. The claim nonetheless is, we don't care. The text as it has evolved, and Alberto, you're getting spiritual with me and saying, and we have this motion, and we have this, and they have this energy which has evolved it, Regardless, the point that they make encountering this is your attempt to go back to an initial standardized text is no longer right. The irony that I'm suggesting, has, that, that, which has emerged over the course of almost 2,000 years, is the following. We started with, so to speak, a specialized text. Over the course of time, and we got to standardized. That standardized has become in some way, shape, or form specialized. The specialized version has become so solid to the extent that the traditionalists now assume that is the standardized. That's the irony in all of this. So to keep tweaking at, well, what is standardized and what is the specialized, you can't define that any longer. Because the precedence, as you said, by having this paradigm shift, was initially what Anshay Knesset Haggadullah established. The claim now is the standardized text as well the one that evolved, which is a fascinating so thing in my mind. if you found the original text of Shmona Yisrael, would you not use it? So my claim, I can't speak for them, but my claim is, at the very least, if you follow the logic of the rabbis quoted in this letter on page one, their answer would be you should not. Now, they don't say it, and I imagine if you push them against the wall, they say, oh, but if you follow their logic to its appropriate conclusion, the answer would be yes. Now, the answer would be... Unless uh, it becomes universally adapted. Sure, sure. Which is generally speaking the way we talk about halakha as well. But the irony over here is we have solidified tefillah so much, especially their claim. You can't change it in any respect. You know, just to give you one or two final examples in this respect, in that same review essay of... Uh, it seems uh, like they don't want you to deviate from the Tibur. So, again, that was on Sheikh Nesit according to Harambam's vision and perspective from the onset. Yeah, and today right? also, like in, in current generation, don't be poor in the Tibur. Be, just be, be with the group. Right. Uh, I, I agree. Right? What if... Uh, how, well, there's a, there's a larger question. So then how are we defining the Sibur? What if I live on an island and I am Rabbi Mazuz? Would everyone be okay if he used this Sibur on that island? I still think they would say it's wrong. It's just, you know, there is, in, in that, that essay that they wrote, uh, excuse me, that he wrote, uh, Rabbi Frimmer, against, against this book, against Rabbi, uh, Rabbi uh, Professor Sperber, he makes the following claim in source number 18 as well. He says... You're mixing apples and oranges. Your suggestion is that you want to add in uh, etc. and things of that sort. He says, you are knowingly adding. I know we have sources. Rabbi Frimmer is well-versed and he mentioned, I know we have sources for that. He even might know, and he does, I think, Marana Hida who's amazing because you're doing 220 years ago and it's an amazing source. He's saying, we know this happens. Yeah, that's all right. Well, it's not, not what we were expecting. Says Professor Firmer, but all of the changes in the traditional context that you'll find are only with one expressed intention. And that is to bring us back to the authentic prayer. That's mm. his claim. That's his claim. He says, they've always tried so to bring to us back to the authentic point, prayer. You, go, you change it back. So, right, so that's a, his claim is to the authentic prayer. My, our, uh, Louis' ironic spin, but it was really yours, Alberto, is it doesn't matter. Even against Rabbi Mazuz, who's bringing us back to quote the authentic prayer, we might say, or at the very least, that, that congregation of rabbis is saying, that's wrong. 
The new standardized te- new standardized text, but I thought it's the text of Anshei Knesset No, that is the standardized. But there may be corruptions in it. In fact, in fact, there's large conversations. I'm not going to have them fully right now about the interchanging of God expressing God as 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 feminine or as masculine. Now there are interpretations to sometimes where we say Naktishach Arisach, he's feminine over there. Baruch Ata, he is male. So in this Sidur, as a matter of fact, you'll find Naktishecha. You make him masculine. And and there's logic for sometimes when he's feminine based on Kabbalistic and, and other such sorts of texts and things of that sort. But the question is, should we, even when we're certain something may have changed over the course of time, and for some reason or another it got mixed up, should we nonetheless keep it? I'm convinced. The irony, you might say that's terrible, might alternatively say that's what prayer was. As long as it's not not, not incoherent, prayer was a, in the words of Alberto, it was a communal movement. It was on Sheknes Dagadola, but over the course of time, ironically, the power for that to change went into the hands of the community. Yosef in source number 19, is angry at a particular mahzor. He's just dealing with one word. It's in the Musaf of Yom Kippur. That is the word et musafe or et musaf Yom Kippurim Hazeh. On a weekday musaf, or maybe it's Rosh Hashanah. No, Yom Kippur. Musafe or musaf. You might say, come on. He says, absolutely. He says, this is a terrible thing. They changed it to musafe. You want to know what they were basing themselves on? He says, they were basing themselves on Benish Hai. In the name of his grandfather, Benish Hai is no small fry. Says Chamvad Yosef, that was their custom in Baghdad. That's okay. In Jerusalem, in Israel, inappropriate, terrible. That was an amazing thing. Sourcing. So it's from Baghdad. It's from Baghdad. Now he fought against some of the traditions that Benish Hai introduced. But his claim over here is that's not good enough grounding. He may have had a logic, he may have grounding, but we have tradition which trumps that. Again, and I'm not asking him, and I don't know what he would answer. I do think if you carry his logic, and I couple him now, even though he wasn't writing against Rabbi Mazuz, if you couple that sort of logic with them, I think we make a certain sense of it. It's ironic, but there is sense to it. Again, stated in the following way, before we read the final two letters on this, it goes like this. Prayer began as an absolutely specialized format. It was Avraham was Mashkim, the Torah says, and the rabbis read it, El HaMakom Asher Amad Shambari Shona, spontaneous. That's what it was, the same place. Vayetzei Yitzhak Lasuach Basadei, Yitzhak is out in the field, in Sihail Lashon Tefillah. Vayifka Bamakom Bayaakob Avinu, he's at the top of the mountain during a time of need, and he prays to God, specialized, spontaneous, beautiful, authentic, the way prayer should be, genuine, felt in the moment, etc., over the course of time, we weren't able to maintain that there was a fear that there would be a loss of appropriate prayer. It became standardized. Over the course of that standardized existence, ironically, the standardized text has changed. Does that mean there's an appropriateness to bekum proactively go ahead and change it? A matter of dispute. Once we now have noticed that it has changed, that's where we're ending with this, the way we began. And I want to compose Hasidur HaMeduyak to bring it back to the original quote standardized text. Is that inappropriate? So many make the claim it is. Aviarari is okay with that. I'm not angry at Rabbi Mazuz at all. I give him validity. I understand their logic though. Their logic is that this text at its core is a text which was necessarily standardized by Anshe Knesset HaGedola. However, that was a necessary standardization. It was not a solidified standardization to the extent that it couldn't be or wouldn't be altered. The fact that it may have been changed over the course of time, I don't want you or me, they claim, going ahead and doing so. But once that happened, that becomes the new standard to the extent that in these final two letters on the page, they are responses to... The fact that that letter that I read to you at the very beginning from this book was published at all. In other words, Shevet Halevi, Rav Vazner, his Beit Din, issued a letter. 
we never, our rabbi never wrote that letter to be published wow. in the front of your Siddur. He wrote that letter because he values his relationship with you. Here, you published it as if he retracted. He never retracted. He says, It was just to make peace with you. It was never supposed to be published. I never was okay with that Siddur. How dare you? Uh, rabbi Steinman, who was... He signed who, it himself or his son. students This is it. his Bedin by his students, but the fact that it was published, uh, maybe not, probably was with his knowledge. They say they're writing it. It's on the stationery of his Bedin. It's hard to believe that it's not it's not with his with his knowledge and 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 commitment to it and consent. On the left hand side, you have someone writing for Rav Steinman. Rav Steinman was another Benebrak Ashkenazi rabbi who signed on the bottom of the original bad anti Rav Vosner and then positive Rav Vosner letter. He says the same thing. He and he's also published in the book. Yes. Yeah. He says, you know, I, I understand now that they're publishing me as, as giving my stamp of approval. Never meant to do that. I was signing off on Rabbi Vosner. Rabbi Vosner was saying, basically, you're a good guy. We didn't want to get in a fight with you. To say that that Sidur is worthwhile, to say that that's an appropriate thing, my words, as Shevet HaLevi wrote at the beginning, Hadash Asum in HaTorah, the standardized text of Tefillah then, ironically. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just put it in these words again. There is a full confusion, and interestingly and appropriately so, between what's specialized and standardized at this point. We do know specialized is changing an entire format inappropriate. What is the standardized, though? So as much as I said, of I bemoan and feel bad about the fact that prayer changed over the course of time to the extent that it became standardized, it's not fully standardized. There are different communities with different prayers to the extent that we say those are standardized and that community's prayer shouldn't change. Will it change? Does it change? Have there been moments of change? There are, but those in turn, in an ironic flourish, become that specialized, standardized text. So to talk about the Siddur from specialized to standardized, I might add on to the title from specialized to standardized to specialized, which becomes standardized. Something along those lines. The nature of tefillah then is somewhat, somewhat ironic, in my opinion, uh, at the same time. At the same time, as it's refreshing, it's a little bit concerning. In other words, there is in the respect that it's unchanging, but then realizing, but it has changed, but then accepting that that change is not something that we consciously or should consciously be, be doing is all endemic to the halakha system, which gives lots of pause for, for reflection and understanding of how this works and how tradition and how our commitment to a relationship with God has and will continue to work in the modern world. What does it mean that we have a text which we've traditionally used while at the same time looking for our own expression within it while maintaining that tradition at the same time? That's the confusion, that's the, uh, you know, the, the vortex or the, uh, the maze of tefillah as I see it as well. Baruch Adonai